Hello! Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's March the 23rd of 2022. That's right. It's that day we've all been waiting for. The day ordained by the prophets on which we would sit down and talk about this week's manga. Oh, as Nostradamus foretold. Yeah, I'm sure you could probably interpret one of the fucking things he said as... Oh, 100%. But it'd be... Be something you know, really like weirdly poetic and obscure. Like, and two shall sit to discuss the events, and it's like, oh, that could be that. That's obviously like you know the news or the podcast. Yeah. Which podcast? That podcast. I, did did he like? Did he just start whiffing like on his his uh, later predictions? Because I haven't heard anyone talk about Nostradamus since like what nine eleven. That was like the last big thing. Like Nostradamus predicted this or whatever. Or is it just that now that we're in the age of the internet, no one's like you could just go read crazy conspiracy theories wherever you want if you want to. <laughs> so there's no real need for Nostradamus anymore. That's an interesting point. Like, uh, so Nostradamus too suffered from the age of uh, content availability, where mm-hmm. there's you know too much. So even all the people who believe in that stuff, like, oh, there's so many places that you can go in order to get your bullshit. Yep. You can get it from QAnon. You can get it from Flat Earth which is the same as QAnon now, apparently, which is very disturbing. Uh, you could get it from people who think the moon landings were fake. You get it from people who think that uh, the moon landings are impossible because the moon uh, is just like a spotlight. Mm-hmm. That's the crazy one. Nostradamus needs a TikTok account, is what you're saying. That's right. We got to current with the kids. Can we call him up? Uh, help him. Uh... Yeah, what's going on? There's a TikTok <laughs> account I found recently that's uh, like Sesame Street cards that I guess are just close enough to tarot cards that someone uses them as tarot cards. And it's all shit like block, orange star. And the person's like, the block symbolizes that your life is in an incomplete state at this point. You need to build more on top of it. The orange means that you are bright and blossoming and <laughs> moving into it. I was like, you know what? The internet is a gift sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess it takes all sorts, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Nick, we let's have, talk about manga. We do have manga to talk about today. Uh, we, uh, for once, don't have a recommendation that we're talking about this week uh, because we're working on a much longer one. So <laughs> because wait for us on that. It's going to take a while. It will. It will. So instead, we're going to talk about some other long-running shonen series. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Uh, My Hero Academia, to start with. Chapter number 348, Unrequited. Uh, literally, like, the, if you go to the front page of... Is it unrequited or unrequited? I always thought it was unrequited. I've heard it both ways, however. I, uh, I think it's see. unrequited. I'm going to go... I'm going to go to Google Pronounce. We're just going to... You won't be able to hear it, so I'm just going to lie and tell you okay. where I said was just right. Unrequited. Yeah. Unrequited. That's what it said. Hmm. Oh. Maybe it is possible to pronounce both ways, or maybe I'm wrong. I have been known to, in the many, many hours that I talk on this show, well, known to, be, to pronounce certain things wrong. <laughs> to be fair, I'm oftentimes... I hear people say things wrong enough that I eventually I'm like, I guess that must be like the same way niche. Like I've heard people call it niche all mm-hmm. the time. I'm like, isn't it niche? 
And I guess it's just to the point where it's like, nah, you, enough people maybe said it was niche or whatever that now niche is just a perfectly valid expo, uh, pronunciation or whatever. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's the way language works, though. Yeah. So literally does not mean literally anymore. And that's fine. It's just how language evolves. It literally doesn't. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what form of music it is now. <laughs> you know what? All right. uh, Alanis Morissette was right now. Everything, everything she said was ironic and no, ironic. No, that's way. still wrong. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> that's still not ironic. We're not giving that to her. No. Hold on to that one. <laughs> Score uh, one for Dave Coulier. Oh yeah, I guess he did do it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so last time on My Hero Academia, mm-hmm. Toga got all blushy around Deku and was like, "Will you be my boyfriend?" And uh, literally, like the front page thing on Viz this week was, oh my god, Toga you declared her love for Izuku. How is he going to handle it? The first page tells us uh, like a dork. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it, the narration specifically calls out Deku. And, you know, gives her this big thing about like, oh man, Izuku Midoriya, he's the ninth wielder of, of one for all. He has all this incredible power. He's potentially the strongest hero ever now. Uh, but even though he'd encountered Hibiko Toga a number of times, he'd never actually realized the way she felt about him, and because for all of his triumphs, he was still just a damned nerd. It was Putting him on blast. It's, just... pretty, it's pretty funny. I, I, it is a very amusing joke where it's just like, for everything that's awesome about this kid, he is fucking dense. I mean, have you seen him and Uraraka, the girl that he hangs out all the time? Like, of course he didn't figure it out with Toga. Like, come on. <laughs> come on. Come on. Uh, and Toga, you know, gives what at first seems like a very straightforward and earnest love confession, saying, oh, the first time I ever saw you, you looked so cool when you were covered in blood. And you looked like my first crush. I want to be you. Let me suck your blood. Uh, it goes off the deep end pretty quickly because, you know, Toga is... Toga. Um, Deku's still caught up on that first point, though, about the boyfriend thing, because he's like, "What? You mean like you want to go to like the amusement park for a date and hold hands with and and, and stuff?" And Toga's like, "No, that's no. I've got a different definition of boyfriend. Did you not hear? I want to suck your blood. I want I want to like cut you open and live inside you and be happy. I mean, I guess like we can like go." ride the ferris wheel or something but i'll kill you when we're at the top yeah i'm going to disembowel you at you. the top yeah and wear your skin to the bottom because come on what a way <laughs> which for me is like getting to second base yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and then there is they are on the beach of course and there's all this chaos swirling around them and so uh, as the fight is happening around them, Toga says, tell me, hero, what do you want to do with me? And she's like steps backwards into the waves and disappears. And oh, shit, they can't see her. And Deku's spider danger sense doesn't work on her. So what's going to happen? Uh, she could attack from any angle while presumably she's going because <laughs> the waters. Uh Deku gives a very honest answer because, of course, he does about in in response to what 
Toga just asked him, which is, I mean, I've always wanted to be strong like All Might, so I do actually understand how you feel wanting to be another person. Like, you like trying to be like someone else could be very fulfilling. But I can't imagine wanting to share the same heart and mind as All Might, and I would never want to hurt someone that I love. And Toga smiles sadly. And she just thinks of all the different people who have, you know, screamed at her for not being normal, including Uraraka very recently. And so she's like, eh, you're just like Ochako and you're just like my mom and dad. Well, guess I'll kill you. Ah, so. <laughs> <laughs> she she seems resigned to the fact that they are going to be eternally on separate sides of the conflict between heroes and villains. She attacks from out of the water and tubes are going everywhere. Uraraka tries to intercept her uh, and I think grabs onto her, but it's kind of hard to tell because she, they're very small in this panel when they clash. Uh, and Uraraka's like, hey, I, I've been thinking about you since, you know, I said those mean things about you before. And Toga's like, oh, really? I haven't been thinking about you. I thought, you know, maybe I had a shot with Izuku, but nope. I'm over that now. The world's rejected me, so I reject the world. And the t- and the font in her text has changed, so she's really unhinged now. That's what that. That's how you can tell. That's how you can tell. Uh, and she, I guess, breaks free from Uraka, then goes back towards her. Like I said, I don't know exactly what happens in this sequence. Because there's not a lot of like establishing frames for actions that get taken. It's 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 a bit irksome. Uh, but as Toga is bemoaning the fact that she's been rejected by her crushes and stuff, uh, so you fucking drop kicks her, which is pretty great. Um, and it's just as Toga's going to reveal that, oh hey, Uraraka's got a crush on Deku, which was to be the worst thing that could possibly happen in this moment. Um and uh, Uraraka, however, got nicked by one of the knives. So she warns everyone, hey, she might have some of my blood again. Uh, and so you just like, hey, uh, Deku, you get going. Chatting about romance here is the last thing you need to be doing. Uh, I think there's worse ways to waste this time right now. Make you die. Yeah. That'd be a worse way to waste this time. That'd be bad. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, but so you and Uraraka are just like, yeah, we'll we'll take we'll take care of this. We will do as we planned and handle Himiko Toga. You have to go and fight Shigaraki because you're the only one who can actually take him out. So go fly off somewhere. And Uraraka turns over her shoulder to look at him and says, "Hey, good luck." Uh, and Deku starts to rush off. Well, Deku, well Toga rather starts to get very kind of contorted as she's standing up and her uh, tendril stabby tube things. I'm not even sure exactly what to refer to those as now. Uh, She just says, it's so hard to live being me, even though I'm full of all this love. Oh, Toga, you're the most interesting villain left. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Because all because Shigaraki's got like all for one in him, and so that means that he's partially the really boring guy. And who else is there? Dobby. Yeah, but we've figured out Dobby at this point. So eh. Spinner can be interesting. He, he he's got like a low key interesting story. I feel like at some point they're gonna have to be kind of 
on the nose with mm-hmm. him, right? I hope so. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this is fun. Um, so yeah, this this Go was ahead. a fun chapter. Um, the the one I guess like thought I really had during the chapter is like, oh, she's got Toga or Toga has Uraraka's blood, and I was like. Man, I really hope she doesn't turn to Uraraka and show off how fucking badass Uraraka's powers can be. <laughs> like, and then, I don't know, like, I, I hope that if she does, Uraraka does something even more badass or something in return. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really hoping the villain using her powers doesn't just go to show, like, this is what Uraraka's potential is. Because, as a lot of people point out, like, her powers are crazy strong. Like, she should be doing oh, yeah. very incredibly crazy things, so... Yeah, it's it's kind of upsetting that like the coolest stuff that we've ever actually seen Uraraka do was in like the very early days of the series, where you know like her fight with Bakugo. Um, then there was the thing where uh, they they did like the tag match test thing, and so she used her powers on a column so she could swing on like a baseball bat and stuff. Um, and we haven't seen a whole lot of her really do much since then i think she is going to have a very cool thing here i'm just i guess i'm not even hoping i i i'm really i guess i'd say this i'm very excited to see uraraka's powers go to a full showcase here i sincerely hope the coolest display is from her herself and not toga just mimicking her powers right um I am wondering if this is actually the end of the confrontation between toga and deku um, because it seems ve- a little bit abrupt to do it like this, but, uh, I guess if it is purely a device, a device to build up tension while Deku has to rush and go, uh, go to the scene to fight Chigaraki so that we can, you know, cut around to all the other stuff first, I guess that works. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced that that's just it, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, we shall see. All right, Nick, let's move on over to Undead Unluck number 103, Negator versus Regulator. So Seal has showed up, blah, 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 kiss from a rose, etc. to Seal Undead. So the fight is on, and Andy opens by kind of talking like, yeah, you know, I've only ever lost to somebody, a chick named Gina, which is a way to describe her. Andy has a very casual way of talking. It's not super uh, condescending, I guess, but a little bit. Uh, and he says, like, yeah, that's kind of how you have to defeat me. <laughs> so I just want to know, though, there's not a rule in this world that can't be broken. So let me give you a firsthand lesson, seal my boy. <laughs> the, the way he phrases that is very amusing to me. He seems suddenly much, much older, doesn't he? Listen <laughs> <laughs> here, sonny! <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Seal seems to be like an almost imme- like immediately born concept that has only lived in this earth in a measure of minutes, basically, and Andy has lived for centuries, Literal, yeah. <laughs> at least, probably decades. Well, it depends on how you count it. Depends on how you count it, because he could have lived for entire, you know, timelines. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but Seal is just like, it doesn't matter. Go ahead and struggle. Your ability, I shall seal and offer to God, everything like that. So Andy's like, cool. If that's it, then it's about time that I die trying to figure out. He just cuts his body into pieces <laughs> and just shoots them like bullets. And He's like Voltron. Yeah, <laughs> but in reverse. He gets stronger the more of himself he shoots away. <laughs> um, 
so we 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 see those attacks go in. They're not super effective, and and it also leaves Andy's torso exposed, which Seal's like, "Haha, you fool! Your your core, so to speak, your heart, your brain, whatever, is right there, vulnerable." Uh, but Andy is like, "You're an idiot." If that looked like my main body, then you're just another slave to the rule of common sense. You ain't no different from any other UMA. And he goes to strike, but unfortunately, it does not work because Seal has Because come. he erased Slash! <laughs> slice. Slash is different. Slice. He can still slash. He can't slice. Um, yeah, Seal has used the power of Jewel to become as hard as Diamond, so can't do anything about that. And Andy's like, well... I'll just do a water jet cutter of blood and I'll pierce right through you. But that doesn't work because Seal has activated the power of splash. So it basically kind of creates a force field that can deflect the the um, water pressure line instead. So Andy's kind of like, all right, since I can't crack you and blood attacks won't work, how about I just strangle you? <laughs> uh, but Seal is a uh, more more bothered by what Andy said. And he's like, take back what you said. I am the UMA graced by the favor of God. I am seal. I am the rule appointed by God to seal you and through my powers and like cracks its, uh, their neck all the way around. Says, I will become the king of UMAs. You don't want those teeth next to your groin. No, like this. not at all. Uh, seal says bomb and Andy explodes <laughs> and, and Andy has the best follow up to this where he says this friggin sucks <laughs> and uh, Seal has now discovered he's like oh you're not regenerating as quickly it seems damage to your brain does that if so I'm gonna keep doing this and just turns uh, his leg into jewels and just keeps kicking Andy in the face over and over again it's time for someone to get their head kicked in yeah uh, is Daniel Bryan uh, finishing a match, basically. Uh, Andy's like, shit, someone actually started doing this against me. Uh, and Lucy crawls on top of Andy and says, no, stop, you're going to kill him. And Andy's like, no, don't do it, you dummy. And then Seal wraps Lucy up and crunches her, basically. There's nothing left in the tube afterwards. It just says, now then, you're next undead. And we can see that Lucy was a negator because a seal is forming on seal mm -hmm. uh, that's starting to say what uh, her power was. Yes. So, on he or something like that. Yeah. So nice. Uh, I do like the way that like you see it starting to form in the final panel there. Yeah. Uh, so you don't get the, the uh, full picture of what it is. Uh, it's a, uh, an interesting uh, thing to just introduce her and then say, like, oh, she's dead, Andy, but it's just like three <laughs> chapters after her introduction. Um, but that is how Undead Unluck do. Uh, well, it, it is so. also very possible that if she, if, if Seal is killed, then the things that were sealed are unsealed. You know? oh, certainly possible. Uh, I'm just saying that it's like, you know, Undead Unluck does this where it's just like, Oh, uh, you, you you think you need time in order to recover from all of the of the big twist? No, more, no, more, more. Here's more. more. Keep going, keep going, faster. 
yeah, I think it's it seems like it's an interesting little twist. I'm 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 praying there's more because I think Lucy would be a very frustrating character if she did just exist to have a power, not get to use it, sealed, and then is killed off screen. Basically, is like a morality pet to Andy's uh, trials yeah. and tribulations. So I'm imagining that's probably not going to be the case. It'd be a very friggy fridge uh, incident. So. Yes. Question. Yes. When is the worst thing also the best thing? <laughs> well, when it comes to Boruto Naruto Next Generations, it is all the fucking time. <laughs> Let's talk about Boruto. The worst chapter, which is also the best chapter. <laughs> Honestly, it's such a, it's so bad, but it is also probably the best best Boruto has been in a few months <laughs> so bad. I think yeah question mark alright chapter number 68 Ska uh, featuring Boruto I thought Boruto. Ska for a moment and I was like that's pretty dude Boruto just comes in skanking <laughs> Boruto where'd you get those sweet checkered pants <laughs> he just has a trumpet uh, Boruto looking like he's gonna drop the hardest album of 1985 like Jesus Christ <laughs> put a shirt on kid it, it is weird that like so many of these po- like so many of the times it's like what if my 12 year old was like an adult fashion model I'm like what an odd stylistic choice <laughs> These kids are so dorky. It's so weird to try to take them seriously in a pose like this. All right. So, everyone, did you all read the last chapter of Boruto where they explained how Boruto was resurrected? No. Let's spend the first several pages explaining what happened a fucking get. Well, Nick, this is a monthly series. You know, you can't always expect the audience to be able to follow what happens chapter to chapter. So we should spend the first six seven chat pages of this chapter just kind of reiterating things figure things out uh and Boruto says that hey all that stuff that we were doing in order to take precautions against this power don't need him now it's solved and also i have better control over the power isn't this nice <laughs> it's honestly pluses all around <laughs> yeah uh, we cut to Kawaki in bed and Sumire is looking after him and also uh, Naruto is there and Shikamaru and Ibiki. Hi, Ibiki. Okay, you're here too. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, Shikamaru. <laughs> okay, so remember how Shikamaru was like, hey, bo- hey Naruto, we should kill Kawaki. <laughs> Like last chapter. So Ibiki's like, okay, so let me get this straight. We're not going to like restrain him or anything considering, you know, all the power that he has and how he did, you know, kill Boruto. And Shikamaru's like, well, yeah, but we can't even restrain him even if we wanted to. He could just shrink himself with Sukuna Hikona and get free. And he can abs- he can absorb any ceiling dudes using karma. So, you know, it'd be hard to do that. So we're just not going to. <laughs> Um, so, but Shikamaru's like, yeah, but it's fine as long as, you know, Naruto is safe because that's all he cares about right now. Yes. Um, and, uh, Shikamaru's like, 
Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll trust him and make sure he stays on our side. Naruto's like, yes. It's good that you agree with me now. That is how this village has functioned since the leader of it was essentially in the exact same situation and my entire arc was having the people accept me for who I am and not what threat Oh, is that why you were upset about that? Oh! <laughs> I, I thought it was just because the other day at dinner when I ordered appetizers but I asked them to be split even though I ate most of them and I thought you were just being bitchy <laughs> about that still. Jesus. Look, I mean, you guys could have you guys could have had the oysters if you wanted them, but like yeah. you know, you you, you should have just like you yeah. waited too long. I what am I supposed to sit here eat half of them and then just sit like let the other half sit there and get cold? No. We were we were having a conversation like you know, we, you our our families have known each other for like decades now. And we but we it's not often though because we're so busy that we get to socialize and catch those like yeah but you know time's a waste and those oysters aren't getting any yeah, fresher you, oh, you want to know what's distinct about oysters uh how they get bad really quickly you know <laughs> not known for for being a hearty thing that sits outside of its ideal temperature condition for too long i thought it was that they were an aphrodisiac all right why do you know that just <laughs> 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 All right, Mr. Smarty Pants. Yeah, something I'm going to know about nuclear fission, too. Karama's like, wow, <laughs> about that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, Samira goes to ask Shikamaru, like, what the fuck is going on with, with everyone? Why is everyone so tense and weird right now? It sort of seems like the Hokage is brooding over something, which honestly, with Naruto, is pretty obvious because he's Naruto. So, but Shikamaru's like, oh yeah, well, you know, we, he nearly died. That's all. He's tired. And then Sasuke shows up. Hey, Sasuke's here! <laughs> Huzzah! Uh, he has information. Uh, Boro's got a facility somewhere. Uh, I'm just uh, okay. So anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Coach goes back on his hideout, and um, what's his name? Grim, Grim, Guh, piece of shit kid. So Damon, Damon, Damon. So, yeah, don't forget memories. It's, it's all about uh, programming. Bullshit. Right. So Ada's like <laughs> hey code. If you <laughs> you're lucky that Boruto's still alive. He was revived using Momoshiki's chakra. And Code's like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, let us <laughs> show over this information a fucking again. <laughs> because Code doesn't know all could literally have had her start to say this and cut away to do other things and just had to explain off panel. But no, we have to explain this again. <laughs> All right. Everyone needs to reiterate where they are at every point. Yes. How are we supposed to understand that the characters understand what's going on if they don't constantly talk about it? So it is also upset at code. Uh, because, you know, he dragged Damon through a portal without her permission to, you know, put her sibling in danger. And Code's just like, I mean, um, I didn't know what else to do. And Ada's like, listen. He was like, yeah, I like his point. He's just like, 
I kind of was going to die otherwise. Yeah, in which my both of our over. both of our plans kind of fall to ruins at that point. So kind of works out. Listen, code. Isn't your brother entirely defined, by the way, code. of being unable to be hurt? Code. Code. Enough about that shit. Bring that hottie Kawaki over here right now. <laughs> He's like, I didn't have time. Aside Bring him from, to me. Aside from when I went over and checked his pulse, in which case I could have easily made a, a call mark on the ground and teleported his back. I, you, you know, know what? It gonna... didn't work back then. It's kind of tired. You know, he's gassed. Listen, if you don't bring me that hottie, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and Code's like, I thought we were friends. <laughs> no, no, no. You are here. You're just magically infatuated with me or dumb enough to be normally infatuated with me. It's one of the two. I can't tell. Listen, bring that kid with his sweet multicolor sideburns over here. <laughs> so Code's like, okay, but check out the incredibly large and obvious strap that I put across the back of Shikamaru's entire neck. That you can see if he just peeped out his collar. And I have an ear sticking out of it. <laughs> Like, the idea that, like, it really is a moment where you're like, does Code think he's smart? Like, I know we find out at the end of the chapter why he thinks he's smart, but this is such, like, the stupidest genesis of this, like, back and forth, like, gambit plan of just, like, he'll never notice a gigantic strap across his back. Oh, my God. It's so, like, you'd get an itch back there and be like, oh, it's like. Wait, there's like spiked leather back here. Come on. <laughs> so much of it. Uh, so, yeah, he decides to spy on what Shikamaru is doing. So he just cups his ear so he can put his ear through the strap dimension and listen in on whatever Shikamaru is doing, which is going to confront Amato, who is smoking indoors like a jackass. Don't do that. Follow the building's codes. Come on, man. Uh, Shikamaru's like, hey, why'd you put Karma and Kawaki again? Uh, and, uh, then we go over to Boruto, who is talking with his squad, and they're like, yeah, I was revived, but <laughs> it was cheeky <laughs> for the fucking third time in this chapter. Oh, God. I think we have to explain it, and every character who is involved needs to explain it to a different group of characters. Uh, Mitsuki immediately asks, like, wait, why did Code try to kill you if he wants to feed you alive to revive the Tentails? And Bart's like, I can't tell anyone that Kawaki was actually the one who killed me because Shikamaru told me not to. Which makes perfect sense, honestly, because you don't want, you know, people to freak out that Kawaki's going to go berserk unless it's need-to-know basis. It's not also a member of his team. That. Like, they don't want a member of their team to be like, you killed our our, our dude. You can't do that. Out of all the stupid things in this chapter, this one makes perfect sense. And then when it came up, I was like, fair enough. That is fine. And that is a perfectly reasonable thing to have. It's like, oh, the secret in the group that is going to come out later and cause problems. It makes sense. Sasuke shows up and he's like, hey, so code could show up anywhere. So don't go anywhere alone. Make sure that that one sensory ninja is following you wherever you can. Um, but he also is like, hey, um, Code's going to like do something to get his limiters removed. He will do something. So don't 
it's important to not just Boruto is, you know, uh, kept under guard. We should also keep an eye on <gasps> old man Amado. Yeah. And Shikamaru is like, so why did you restore Kawaki's karma? He didn't give you permission to do it. And Kawaki's like, I mean, I was just going to do it because I figured he would ask for it anyway and didn't, you know, didn't want it to come up at the wrong time. It makes sense. Like, it's a very logical argument. But Shikamaru's like, there's another reason. Don't dodge the question, which is like, I don't know. It seems like he's answering the question, but don't dodge the question. If you ask me, you seem obsessed with Kawaki's karma itself. I mean, he's a dedicated scientist who specializes in it, but okay, sure. So then code comes out of Shikamaru's neck. <laughs> it's what? It's the best moment because he's hovering in the air. Like a fucking vampire. <laughs> and he's like, sorry to interrupt, but I didn't want to waste this opportunity. And for a brief moment, you're under the impression everyone in this room is surprised this happened. <laughs> As this fucking dorky kid just floats in the air like, sorry to butt in. Oh, like, I hate his hair is rising up for some reason. I hate to be a pain in the neck, but <laughs> I wish he needed to have said something like that. He truly needed to just be so extra in this scene. Like this is the only moment where I was like, yes, now his outfit makes 100% sense because it's so ludicrous and over the top that there is nothing this man should do that should not be this over the top and extravagant. Oh, man, Amato, I never would have gotten here without a bunch of help. Thanks for sticking your neck out for me, Shikamaru. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think I'd see you in this neck of the woods. Please stop. Please just try and do your stupid plan, please. <laughs> Shikamaru uh, slashes, gets slashed, rather, by code, I guess, uh, and goes, Gah! Um And then... Uh, he code grabs Amato from around the neck, uh, and he's like, "Remove the looters on my power." And Amato's like, "Oh, I, what, I can't believe you just showed up here. You're gonna be sensed right away." But Code says, "Yeah, but I know that all you need to do is look in my eyes and say the command. It only takes seconds, right?" And Amato's like, "Yeah, how would he know?" Because he was told. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eno and other sensory ninjas are like, wait a minute, oh man, the code is in Amato's lab. Uh, and they contact Shikamaru. And Shikamaru's like, yeah, he's right here. And Eno's like, damn it, we'll send reinforcements. And Shikamaru's like, no, hold on, Eno, just inform Naruto and the others. Don't send anyone here yet. I don't want to provoke him into running off, so let me handle it. And Eno's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you have not discussed this with anyone. <laughs> Shikamaru uses shadow possession jutsu. Ha! He he paralyzes Code by connecting their shadows. And Code's like, I can still my, move my fingertips enough to slash his carotid open. Which, all right, I guess there's a big old asterisk on how the shadow possession I thing works. I was going to say, wouldn't shadow possession stop you from even moving your fingertips, really? Like, I guess you could do it very slightly and Code is super strong so even the slightest tingle of his finger could be enough to rip open the thread of the, the throat of a human being but 
I was like, that doesn't feel like that should be how it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that there's been exceptions to it. Like if you're caught by, you can still talk, but it does seem like a very convenient thing to just be like, well, I could still cut his throat open. So I've got a bulletproof vest on. And then Shikamaru says, you thought I wouldn't notice the claw mark on the back of my neck. <laughs> I would fall for such a transparent trap and coat. <laughs> This looks Wait, what? What? <laughs> you saw through my brilliant plan? <laughs> I was so I was so subtle. I thought you would think it was your giant neck strap. <laughs> so suddenly he notices the very obvious casket-shaped container over in the corner as it starts to go. <laughs> And Chikamaru calls out. This is it, the dumbest plan, by the way. It's showtime. Wake up, Bronco. Which I don't. All right. I, I don't know why he's called that, but. So the casket thing bursts open. The lid flies off. And oh my god, Delta is reborn, and she's floating in the air. The second person to burst out of something unexpected and float in the air within like five pages. And Shikamaru says, she's a new model, reprogrammed to be a battle asset that protects Konoha. We've turned her to the side of good with with programming her consciousness. The the moral implications of this are not delved into. This feels like this should have been like all the seven different pages devoted to re-explaining like Boruto's fucking uh, karma was everywhere we worked should have been devoted to like really digging into the weeds and the idea of like yeah so we picked her up and reprogrammed her so she'll always protect us now (laughs) also we changed her name we took our very identity away from her uh we we got the idea from, you know, using blood magic on the Diamond King. It yeah. seems like a good idea. <laughs> this is the noble thing to do. If someone threatens our kingdom, we take them down, brainwash them, and now they protect our kingdom. Like what heroes would do. It's okay, though. Delta still has remnants of her personality because she <laughs> obeys Shikamaru's command, but she's just like, oh my god, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite part. They reprogrammed her, but not enough that she doesn't have still obsessed her. <laughs> Like, Listen. All right. What do we change? Like her name. Number one. That Delta. Awful. We're gonna give her a cool name like Bronco. Two. She doesn't want to destroy Konoha anymore. She wants to protect Konoha forever. Um. And that's it, I guess. That's the only things we'll change. Just those. And they're like, so there's a, a module right here. The SAS levels are really high. With a click of a button, I could turn it down. He's like, no Bronco and protect Konoha forever. That's all we needed. Yep. It's like the screaming she robots in uh, the Star Wars <laughs> shows. We're just like, why did they, if you could program these things, why did you program them to be cowardly and fear the fear their own death? <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> uh, okay. So Delta launches a kick and grows out karma stuff from her leg and freaking impales code through the chest, uh, which... I guess was perfectly placed so that it also it didn't actually hurt Amato at all. 
he's fine. He gets free. And Shigemura's like, yeah, uh, I figured if that if I just came after Amato with no guards around, you'd come through my neck like an idiot. <laughs> so I gotcha, bitch. Uh, and then Delta's like, I mean, I could also blow you up with my eye beams, but I'm not going to because I. <laughs> I don't know one of those moments of like a character having to explain what the thing that would have happened isn't happening. Just like I could have one hit killed you, but I couldn't. <laughs> just roll with it. Code, who is under the paralysis jutsu, moves he's, he's his not, hand. He's not anymore. He's he was kicked out of it. Sure, that's how it works. I guess. I guess. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Sure. All right. So, uh, his hand moves over towards one of his claw marks and just reaches into it. And Shikamaru takes forever to react to this. He's like, "Oh man, his hand went in the claw mark. I better use the shadow manipulation and uh, pull his hand down so he can't escape." You know, he'll just like, I guess, drag his body through the claw mark. I, I don't know. But. Code wasn't trying to escape. Instead, he pulls Ada through the claw market. She appears, and Amato is shocked to see her. And yep, here she is. You all know what's funny is next month, uh, we are going to have to address that Shikamaru is going to be head over heels for this girl because they've established <laughs> the rules that work for Ada is she just magically makes people infatuated with her except for karma people and except for her relatives, which the Amato setup has come to reveal. So presumably, yeah. Shikamaru, and I don't know, maybe Delta, I don't know if they really established how that works and also I don't know if cyborgs are a different function to it, but Ada herself I think is also maybe a cyborg. I'm not sure. Uh, I am curious, like, the idea that, like, next week, Shikamaru might have to just be, like, a dumb dude, just like, uh -huh. Hi, ma'am. God, he, he's really <laughs> gross about it, too. <laughs> this chapter was such a wild ride. It's, like... Oh, God. It's... In a way, I appreciate it, because the last, like eight pages of this chapter are so wild where it's like Delta's back and she's been reprogrammed and you're like what and it's like yeah that was Shikamaru's plan all along but he also told nobody to show up because he was like well this one counter attack will definitely work so don't bother sending anyone else just let Jesus. them observe basically you know it's not like we could have had any other ninja like waiting in the wings to help out too yeah <laughs> Wouldn't work. All right. Kaiju number eight. Chapter 58. Uh, Hoshina has just gotten finished at the big council of seated officers telling everyone that they need to pool their efforts in order to actually combat the forces that Kaiju number nine seems to be gathering at this time. Uh, they go over the possibility that maybe Kaiju number 10 is lying or is mistaken about Kaiju number nine's ability to create new super powerful Kaiju. But Hoshida has a PowerPoint to explain that. Uh, and he says, yeah, in recent years, there have been studies that give credibility to the theory that the immense energy and strain produced by faults in the earth act upon underground substances and nearby plants and animals to produce Kaiju. And number nine appears to be intentionally taking advantage of this phenomenon to create Kaiju. Uh, and apparently he's in like the Mariana Trench or something like that in order to do this. So good. Uh, that'll be fine. 
Uh, and also think bring at the point like, OK, for like searching the deepest depths of the ocean for Kaiju number nine, it would take us years just to find them as opposed to even forming an effort to take them down. And Pacific Rim. Yes, but it's OK. They can just synchronize each other's biorhythms yes. when that happens. So, man, that is that is a, a, a telltale sign of a movie that the first one you're like, oh, this is excellent. Like, this is dumb in every good way. This is this is fantastic. And then the second one, you're like, oh, no, this one's dumb in every bad way. Like, this is <laughs> like you did everything wrong the second time around. Poor John Boyega. <laughs> there goes Charlie Day's star making role. I haven't seen either of them, so I didn't know he was in that. <laughs> yeah, he was the bad guy in two, I think. He gets, like, possessed by the monsters, and I think they make him the bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Crazy. Uh, so then Mina uh, says there is a chance that by assimilating the director general, Kaiju number nine has learned about the defense forces capabilities as well. So they're double fucked. Like, can't do anything against this guy. And also, he knows all their secrets. It knows all their secrets. So, Hoshina says, what we have to do now is see how many surprise factors we can implement in the next few months before number nine makes its next set of moves. We have to have things outside of what the director general is aware of working in our favor, which means we need to make a lot of call-ups for NXT really quickly and really push them on the main roster. So... That's how we uh, and get, we, what, what is it, Pudge or Butch or something like that? Butch. <laughs> Pudge. <laughs> and as he appeared on SmackDown, the entire island nation of the United Kingdom's hearts collectively broke. <laughs> uh, so we do a big thing where we cut around to a bunch of all the young officers I believe most of which we have been introduced to, but some I think not. So I think only two that we know, right? Haru and Reno? I think that we also met a couple of them very briefly. I feel like the guy on the same page as, I don't even remember if his name's Haru or something similar. The guy with like the sharp teeth and like the pompadour and then Reno, we know. Like I think that guy maybe we've seen, but I feel like the other three I don't know. I think so. So yeah. Uh, and also, Mina brings up that uh, they are also preparing to use the long dormant ultimate weapon. We need to train a compatible user for weapon number six, which mm. everyone is very much aware is the most dangerous of all of the kaiju built weapons. Uh, and uh, so they're like, oh, so we plan on pitting the former king of kaiju against the newly crowned one. All right. Thank, thank you for the lore, Dumb, Thank you. I, it's nice to have those little flavor details. Thanks. Uh, but, uh, and they say, because Hoshina has this on his PowerPoint as well. At the moment, we have a cell sample from a certain rookie that shows signs of properly syncing with number six. No neutralization university schooling, average entrance exam scores, a completely run-of-the-mill officer. His name is, and we see Iharu running away from a kaiju in the street and ducking before the kaiju gets blown up by a series of blasts and a figure comes streaking down from the sky in a huge heroic silhouette and then lands in front of Iharu and it's Reno. And Reno Ichikawa is said young talent who's been making rapid strides. Okay, it is Iharu. Okay, I wasn't wrong. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, this is super cool. I was like really excited to get to see Reno again and like, cool, he's going to be a very significant character in all this. We're going to see like, this is what the compatible user is. Because at first I was just like, oh, it must like, it was introduced in the chapter where uh, Hoshino was going to bond with Ten. I was like, did that just happen? Like, so now to see like, oh, this is what they mean by compatible user. And it'd be a chance to show not only Reno, but also these other characters, I think is like a pretty cool thing. Like, I kind of like Iharu. I don't know anything about him, but I have a little bit of like fondness for him. And he's not as annoying as, uh... oh, God, I can't remember the name of the dude from Narumi. Narumi? Igen That's Narumi? the kid. That's the, ca- the the captain. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see it. I think it'll be kind of cool. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm jazzed, as the kids say. They don't say it, but if you say they say it, then you control the narrative. Yeah, so, don't do that. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> don't hire Nazis. Uh, so, <laughs> the but Nick, I mean, yeah. how else do I control my narrative? Yeah, just don't hire Nazis. So, yeah, I like this chapter, especially before what it promises, which is a return to, yeah, all the characters that we got to know before this whole arc that introduced a bunch of unlikable ones. So, <laughs> or no, unlikable say, slash forgettable. Uh, let me clarify. I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate or or maybe at least just soften what you say, because I know there are some people who actually do like Gen a lot. Uh, he is not our favorite character. We'll say that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to return to the characters who were present when I feel... Uh, and I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I think both of us kind of felt Kaiju number eight was at its strongest and every, every chapter was a super exciting thing. Yes. Uh, and things have had, but we're not down in general, but they were more hit and miss during that stretch when we were away from that group. So it's very exciting to be returning to them Yes, in some form, at least. All right. All right. Let's talk about Eden zero. Yes, let us do that. Chapter one eighty four, Elsie versus Ziggy. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big Elsie uh, dramatic chapter, yeah. which is why she's on the cover in her flower pattern lingerie. You know, I think it's it's lets a you know swimsuit. I don't know. She looks like she's by a pool. Got to get it out and there. You her, know. Yeah, that's how you tell that something serious is going to happen to a character. What yep. <laughs> they're used for cheesecake. <laughs> So we just found out that Elsie is the princess of the former kingdom of Lendard. Her name, Elsie Lelendard. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very fancy thing. And she, you know, activates her ether gear and she goes in, she fights and there's, you know, attacks and boom smash and i don't know why there's one panel <laughs> where like uh ziggy like splats her away and she like falls and her expression is like almost comedically like huh like she just got knocked on her butt and she's like uh-huh. um there's a bunch of like small like it's kind of cool ziggy's like picking up old pillars with his gravity and throwing it at her and then she strikes and it leaves a little bit of a mark and everything like that and that's enough for like the momentary pause in the fight for Ziggy. Like, to think that a little girl would grow this strong. I'd expect nothing less than the Arishion Six Galactica. You are indeed the equal of Crow and Acnoelia. And uh, he asks about Shiki, and she's like, well, I haven't sparred with him a while, but back before this, he was pretty much at my level, so I would assume he's even stronger. And Ziggy's like, hmm, unfortunate. 
I should not have raised him, for he is the one who will destroy the universe. I was idiot enough to raise a threat to the cosmoses. <laughs> it is what the translation version says. I think that that is in a certain vernacular grammatically correct like if you're speaking like old oldie times style but it's still very weird yes. so uh we cut over shiki uh rebecca and happy run into a bunch of soldiers oh no they blast their way through them because they're not actually that tough but then there's more Uh oh this is too bad but, uh, you know, just when you're getting overwhelmed by zombies, the rest of your two teammates show up and you got to make sure you take out the special objective <laughs> first and then clear out the waves. Yeah, you got to have the right sense of priorities. I know that you're like, oh, man, their health is going down, but you really got to focus on actually clearing the way first. Yeah, so. you, you got to make sure you're not just going to get overwhelmed because once one person goes down, it just starts chaining. Uh, and then they get all inside like a safe, I don't know, a door closes and they're safe now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're like, cool, we're headed towards the core. Because <laughs> Shiki says, what's this oh, passage? Easy. What's this passage? And Pino says, evidence suggests that this passage will lead us to the planet's core. And I'm like, all right, good enough for me. Also, they've all got their assault uniforms. And apparently the cleavage hole is just like a default aspect for the girls. So Yeah, well, yeah Nick, come on. that's. <laughs> if, they, if they drop a line at any point that Weiss designed these, then I'll at least say, okay, that makes sense then. So. Yeah. Until then, uh, it's the one other thing that women need uh, heart-shaped holes for their breasts to breathe out of. That's the scientific reasoning we're going out of in this universe. Yep. We got back to the fight with Ziggy and Elsie. Uh, Elsie's like, did you only save me because of your lack of memory? Ziggy's like, of course. The real me would have never rescued a human world. And she says... That is unfortunate, Ziggy. And she does her seven stars grand chariot magic. No, but Ziggy escaped. He's like, yes, I have Nero's wormhole ability. I can move across space. Nelsie's like, I knew you would do that. And you would try to attack me from behind. And Ziggy's like, trap ether, which is, I guess, a thing. I don't know, but he's trapped. And then Elsie transforms. And the first time I saw this panel, because she does like, the thing that most like magical transformations do where like for for a brief moment they're nude and i thought if you look by her hip to the left of it there's a line i thought that line was her left leg and hip and i was like yeah. what the fuck happened to jesus her christ elsie <laughs> <laughs> it's not i mean it's still hero but regardless so elsie has activated her her ether gear that lets her absorb sort of the essence, the very concept of a planet to to channel it. And she says, taste the power of my planet. Hits him with total clips. Ziggy's like, ah! Heart. We're, yeah, we're, <laughs> you can't say it without thinking that. Uh, we're going to get back to this, by the way. Uh, but Ziggy goes down. Elsie stands over top of him, and she is in a position to kill him. She's about to strike him and presumably end this fight. Uh, but Ziggy says, Elsie, run! Which gives her a pause. She's like, take Shiki and his friends and go far away. And for a brief moment, Elsie thinks back to when Ziggy was essentially like a father figure towards her. And she says, you. And then he, <laughs> he fucking throws a sword through her chest. Because his hand's like this. So it's he didn't just stab her. He's like, eh. <laughs> I think that the idea might be he used his gravity magic on it. 
probably We're sorry but it's so much funnier. it's also the sword it's also the sword that she was going to stab him with so did she drop the sword hmm, i didn't pick up that detail before <laughs> now it is very confusing i guess he he used gravity magic to spin it around and then plunge it into her i don't know i really like the yeah, idea he tossed the sword like eh. And he just says, <laughs> he just like he manages to at point blank, point blank range with no wind up. <laughs> <laughs> Send it going at 50 miles an hour. Uh, and he just finishes the chapter by saying, that's what it is. LC. Yeah, I don't really know what they're talking about in the last two lines of dialogue there it's a little bit weird but uh you know it sends fragments in japanese that are being translated to english so it makes sense why it's a little bit weird um i do wonder if the angle that they're going for is that ziggy was literally just fucking with elsie in this moment and pretended or if there is actually some aspect of the good ziggy that remains in him and it's not exactly as he says where he had lost his memories and so this is his true self so it is worth noting we don't see pupils in him before and then we get to see like his kind of skeletal ones when he goes to do the stab i do want to talk about this chapter because uh in a in a grand scheme i i i like the concept of what's going on here uh that elsie has this connection towards this planet and she channels the very essence of it and then Ziggy turns around and stabs her, using her moment of humanity basically as his one opportunity, because otherwise it looked like she had undefeated. Uh, my issue is that I find that this moment uh, lacks any punch to it, because I, I want to just address this. So, last chapter, it was revealed that this is Elsie's home world. This is where she lived, and she indirectly is responsible for its destruction. She sold secrets, supposedly. She gave that information away. I shouldn't say sold. She gave information about the planet away, and that supposedly led to its downfall. And not only her family being, you know, destroyed and her kingdom ruined, but the entire planet eventually being destroyed and taken over by another war complex, essentially. Um, that was just told to us in a basically, like, a page-long exposition dump. Elsie here uses her magic to channel the very essence of this planet. And there are so many complications that go with that because this is this is Elsie channeling this planet that one is her home, so it should have a very important significance, but also one she betrayed. There should be very complicated feelings going on here. And we can tell that there is some level of that going on, but we didn't get like this is the point where instead of this chapter we should have had a flashback or something like that. I, I know this isn't like other series where we were going to get a multi-chapter flashback or whatever, but we did need some kind of context to the notion that Elsie channels the very essence of her home world that is dead to basically almost kill Ziggy. Like her, her steel determination at this point, she's made peace with who she was clearly, but it would have been nice to see what kind of led to that. Certainly. Another thing I want to point out, though, the concept of draining this planet to become it and encapsulating it, and it's expressed both, you know, in a power set, which here, I guess, just means darkness. I don't really know what her attack actually is. It's a laser beam or something, I guess. Uh, but also aesthetically. <laughs> aesthetically, this outfit sucks. I don't understand. So we don't know a lot about Lelendard, I would assume, from 
Leonard, Lendard, whatever. Maybe there's like a kind of pseudo French influence. It had kind of like a European medieval aesthetic to it. I'm not smart enough to know the exact agricultural kind of, uh, or not agricultural, architectural, you know, origins or whatever. Um, but it was a planet like that that was also then taken over by robots. And maybe you could even justify it by saying like, well, the real Lendar, the, the Aether she's absorbing wouldn't be like that. Because I was like, I, I don't, I think it'd be kind of dope if there were like cool robotic influences to it to show that's what Lendard is. But remove that away. She does this transformation and it's like, she's just holy. She just looks like fucking holy. You just gave her those stupid head things that holy has and the fucking neck thing like holy has. That's it. You just turned her into holy in a bikini. That's it. <laughs> She looks like a cross between a sexy devil and a superhero because of the weird gloves. Uh-huh. It's just it's, very... It is very odd. And because this is all very rushed, it's, it's all, that is another reason I think that the big attack doesn't have much impact. You just see her as like, she transforms into boom. And that's yeah. just it. That's just the, the attack. I'm going to say something here. Okay. And I want everyone to boo me for saying this. I think we need to see more of Elsie in this series to appreciate this. But that's no, that look, that is actually a very true thing. Because the only reason why Elsie is considered an important character is because she is clearly Urza, who is important in fairy tale. That's the only reason she actually hasn't done much in this series. Imagine how much more impactful this would be if we had had Elsie get the Urza treatment in Fairy Tale, where she, you know, would always show up and just win. Yeah. And to then see her turn all the maximum amount of her potential power on the final villain, and then she just, in a hormonal weakness, gets cut down. How much more effective that would be. But Elsie, because she's constantly like getting bust in and out of the series to be important when she's here, but then just go away and never do anything or, you know, to show up and be like, well, I'll stop you Ziggy, but not now, uh, you know, the, the, all these motions towards, Oh, but she's important guys. But then she very rarely has involvement in important aspects of the series because she's always taking down like side villains or whatever. And she's got this quote unquote close friendship with Shiki's crew now, but we haven't really seen it develop very much because a lot of it's been off screen but Nick, she sometimes shows up in bath chapters or something like that. Yes, but, you know, so does like Labilia. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so does Holy. So does every, you know, f- traditionally attractive female character in this series. You know, so it's I honestly do think like if you had just gone all the way and just been like, yeah, no, I'll see is. Urza, she gets the Urza treatment and shows up a whole bunch way too much, then this would actually have been a more effective moment. But because it's just a character who just kind of shows up occasionally and really has never really gotten to do anything important, except that one time she like kissed Justice and then they kicked each other in the nards, like or whatever or however whatever they did after the after yeah. they after they kissed, I can't even remember because that was such a stupid moment. Like it really feels like she has not actually been built up as a very powerful combatant somehow. So no, I I understand like that. I I do agree a hundred percent. I wanted to kind of like this moment because I think it actually is good in like a a general sense, but this felt very much like I was reading a wiki of what a moment would be and not Mm -hmm. actually experiencing it. Like, I feel like the details were just given to me and that was it. You could definitely, I could definitely see like 
someone who was a fan of this series explaining it and making it sound more exciting than it actually was. Yeah, definitely. All right, but we got to move on from there to Akane Banashi. Story six, senior pupils. Uh, so uh, Akane right, has just been introduced. Senior pupils? Senior pu- Senior pupils. So... <laughs> <laughs> I so, am here to teach you the Rakugo. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Poopus. <laughs> it sounds enough like poop that I can do this. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, Master Arakawa has just introduced Akane to his four older pupils and says, like, yeah, they're going to drill the bases of Rakugo into you. And... The long-haired hottie one and the bookish glasses-wearing one are both like, I'd rather not. No. Got other shit to do. <laughs> and Akai turns to Master Shigema and says, Did you not ask them both ahead of time before doing this? Uh, but Shigema gets really upset because he's like, It's your duty to to look after the, uh, the new pupils since you're the senior pupils. Uh, and Koguma, who is the glasses-wearing one, is like, I mean, but come on, like, it's been like six or seven years since the last one you took on. So, yeah, I, I can't do it. No, I'm not going to deal with that again. No. And the long haired one, whose name is Maikeru, says, this is me. We're talking about master. She's obviously going to fall in love with me. And that love is forbidden by the rules. <laughs> I love him immediately. Like, he's so awful. Yeah. <laughs> I was, that's the guy I picked last time. Thank you very much, Nick. You you get your own. You picked, I don't know, fucking uh, Spike I, I picked, dude. I picked Guriko because I think that he's he's a he's a good guy deep down. And you know what? He prepared those peaches for everyone. Yeah. So you know, I picked the one who's gonna have a fun time. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I I did I did basically pick the the main the main the male lead from I tell C I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> he wishes uh, he was as fun as Se- Seikon. Oh. <laughs> uh, everyone gets start, starts making eyes at Guriko to kind of pressure him into taking charge of Akane. But instead, the close-shaven head guy, Kyoji, sets, steps up and is like, yeah, I'll take charge. And uh, Shigama's really pleased to see this. Uh, and he says, like, hey, Guriko, I understand you're concerned for her, too, but you've only just reached Futatsume rank. You should focus on improving your craft. So nice little bit of info there uh, to build up that relationship. So Kyoji takes Akane away to talk with her in private for a bit. They sit down and uh, she introduces herself very politely. And he's like, oh, that's a very polite and proper bow and he even goes on to explain the importance of a good bow when introducing yourself to the audience how important it is to be a rakugoka and Akane's like oh wow yeah I feel like yeah this, this guy's actually gonna be really nice this is gonna be a good teacher student relationship um and so Kyoji then goes on and say all right so what's your school schedule like and Akane's like oh I can just ditch classes whenever and he's like you fool <laughs> You think your parents did all they could to put you through school so you could ditch? No! And he's just bellowing in her face, saying, don't get your priorities backwards. And the guy's like, okay, good. 
and just immediately back to back to dice after that has been addressed. So that's no good. But uh, we actually get a little bit of info uh, from the other apprentices that Kyoji has actually been like this ever since Shinto was expelled because he's always the one keeping the other pupils in line. They call him the magistrate of the Shigama school. And I don't really like that detail. He's not just the strict one. It's because he has a tie to Akane's father that informs that relationship. And it also is going to presumably inform the relationship he has with her specifically because of the way that affected him. Very good. Nice little detail to set stuff up later. Love the series. <laughs> Uh, so he starts getting some stuff ready so that she can accompany him to a uh, show tomorrow. And Connie suddenly is getting worried because of the way he's just flipped back and forth in his demeanor. Uh, and, uh, when he brings her to the show, he says, okay, I'm going to teach you a lot of the things that you're going to end up learning during Zenza training. And he goes over a bunch of different points, uh, and he tells her to also use the opportunity to learn. And Connie's like, yeah. I've got to I've got to reach Shinichi and I've got to catch up to that guy referring to the apprentice she met before. So they start. And at first, the, she's enthusiastically, you know, following directions. You know, OK, not line up your shoes, perform greetings, prepare tea, assist with the rose. But as he goes on, she's getting less and less enthusiastic. And then eventually, while she's folding up uh, some clothing, she's like, wait a minute, you're just making me do chores. And just throws it on the ground like a football. <laughs> And Kyoji's like, yeah, I am. Because when you're new at school, that's your job. You do the chores and other tasks like you've just done today. It may not seem like this has to do anything to do with Rakugo, but you have to understand that Rakugo is a business. It's about pleasing the audience. And if you can't please a single person in your presence, you're not cut out for that. You have to think about what the other person might want and do it ahead of time. We call this in Rakugo Kibataraki. The mindset of taking tactful action. So I appreciate that we kind of hit the karate kid lesson in like two pages, just went through it really quickly. And it's like, no, no, he's not even making any illusions about what he's having her do. But he's like, and this is why. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's a good teaching method, too. Yes, he's working her hard, but he's explaining why he's doing everything. So. Uh, then another uh, Rakugoka shows up named Hakushu. Akane is, however, getting really pissed off because uh, she's like, this doesn't have anything to do with Rakugo. It's just like that guy said. It's all about skill. And I'm going to prove it to all these people. Um, Hakushu, when he encounters Akane, is curious and asks her to perform a story as well, uh, so which upsets Kyoji a bit, but you're just like, oh, come on, come on. It's, you know, it's fine. You know, you're already here. You're going to be joining. You might as well do it. Show me what shows what you've got. And so Akane, of course, is eager to do this. She goes, puts her kimono on, ties her hair up, and she goes to do a performance. And she's like, all right, I've got, I've got I'm going to do this. I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to show you guys what I can do. And I'm not as nervous as I was the first time. And I can see the room better. And Kyoji, of course, is watching her uh, closely. And as Akane starts, Kyoji's like, okay, yeah, she's, she's good. She's got good form. Her acting is expressive. Her posture is beautiful. And that's very important to, to Rakugo. If you're wobbling when you're sitting there, then it really takes away your, from your presence. So she's put a lot of effort into her craft. But... And then we see that Akane hits a punchline in her story. And she just gets a few like scattered chuckles, which 
takes her off of her guard. And she's like, what, what the hell? What happened? I got a way better response the last time I performed. What's going on here? So she's just like, all right, well, I'll just keep on going. I'm going to put what I learned into practice and everyone will love it. It'll be fine. But Kyoji, as he's watching her, is thinking, I get what you mean now. I, got, I get what you meant about it, which is I've given Akane performance training, if nothing else. So we cut ahead to after that point. They're walking home from the, the performance and Kyoji in, in, is inquisitive and says, why, why are you unhappy with your performance? And Akane says, well, I wasn't unhappy. I was actually really thankful to be given that opportunity. And Mr. Hikyushu was nice and the audience was great. It felt good to be complimented, but it felt like I didn't get a big reaction that I wanted to get. And so I realize now that I'm still not that good and I need to practice harder and get better. And Kyoji says, do you think that as long as you practice harder that you'll satisfy your audience? That's pure arrogance. Your Rakugo is the epitome of selfishness. And Kaya's is like, what you talking about? <laughs> Kyoji says, she just starts throwing in TV catchphrases everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> who is the boss <laughs> bang zoom straight to the moon what <laughs> yeah tell me what you're talking about did i do that <laughs> ricky it's like that's on the game <laughs> but kyoji says well a lot of your audience today was elderly did you alter your performance in any way to get a better reaction from them and Akane is like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta insult Gen Z a little bit. You gotta make jokes about trophies and things like that. You should that. have taken out your phone and pretend to be distracted by it. Come yeah. on. <laughs> uh, and Kyoji makes a, a comparison to it looked like you were hurling ninety-five mile per hour fastballs off the plate. He's like, the did you, did you even make one Humphrey Bogart reference? <laughs> you fool. <laughs> Oh, boy. The Marx Brothers didn't come up once. <laughs> you didn't talk. You didn't make any mention of the talkies that we're playing recently. <laughs> Someone brought up a good point to like, you know, they call it the talkies. And eventually that just became the movies. And suddenly you look at the term movies a lot differently now. Yeah. It's like, it does sound really old timey, doesn't it? <laughs> Couldn't go all over to the movies. Yeah. Uh. But his point is, like, you had a lot of skill, but you didn't have any control or direction. So it doesn't matter how skillfully you delivered the line. The audience wasn't going to find it funny. So I acknowledge that you have skill, but Rakugo is a business about pleasing the audience. You shouldn't look within yourself. You should be looking outward. And while he says this, he punches some stuff into his phone, which I do appreciate is a much older model of phone than Akane's is. Uh -huh. uh, nice little detail and uh he basically sends her a location and says go there tomorrow while you're there see if you can figure out how you can perform rock ago that will make your audience happy and kind of agrees and she's been sent to a little restaurant or bar uh, and when she shows up there she's like in the uniform she's like why why am i learning at a pub wait is he trying to get rid of me uh, and she's immediately like, oh, no. But uh, one of the other workers calls out to her and says, hey, come on, stop standing around. Uh, and Akane realizes like, OK, but 
this guy will tell me what I need to know. And I know that the experience I gained here will be meaningful. So, okay, how do I learn to do Rakugo that will delight my audience? I'm going to find the answer. And she ties a, a bandana around her head and she goes off to start her work. Good stuff. I like the chapter a lot. This is a great chapter for a multitude of reasons. Kyoji hits a lot of points really quickly and v- very easy to understand ways that make sense. And it's refreshing to see them hit in this way. Mm-hmm. And also every protagonist should have to work freaking service at some point to teach them <laughs> the, the value of respecting people. So. Which is ironic because the one lesson you will learn in any kind of service industry is how much you hate people deep down. Like it's just an innate thing you will discover the moment you have to work any kind of level of customer service. You will hate everyone except other service people. Yeah. You're like, I got you. <laughs> you deserve the world. And then someone will come up. They're like, what's the price of this? And I'm like, I hope you die in an accident today. $7. <laughs> <laughs> the first part you don't say out loud because that usually costs you the sale. Right. Or, you know, you have to answer a bad Yelp review or something like that and be like, I am sorry that I. <laughs> All right. Uh, blue box. We do it alphabetically. Oh, blue box is alphabetical in front of. You're right. Well, uh, this week it was called Bada Bada Da Da. Right. You had it right. Chapter number forty-five of Blue Box, August twenty-six. Uh, as Which is it, weird. Came out on like the twentieth of August or of the March, so doesn't line up at all. Uh the series probably should be canceled. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the timeline of course is a bit accelerated with blue box. It does feel like at times uh, for a a uh, series with this kind of you know setup. But mm-hmm. uh so we established that like all right nationals are over, summer vacation is almost over. Uh and so students feel rushed to get their remaining summer homework done. And it's August 26th. But instead of showing any of that stuff, hey, Chinatu's basketball team is throwing her a birthday party. Isn't that Aww. nice? And they set up like, you know, little, little noisemakers and streamers. They give her a, they give her a hat and a fake nose and glasses to take goofy selfies. I like it because okay. it implies that there's more of a personality to these characters than we see. Like, <laughs> it's like the idea of like, oh, I like being silly. I'm like, I would have never presumed <laughs> based off the way you've acted previously that you're one of those people who's like, silly eyeglass and nose combo. I'm dead. Oh Throw my that God. <laughs> Novelty uh, t-shirts. Fuck yeah. As uh, the badminton team passes by them, they just say, girls sure love that sort of stuff. So, All right, if you say so. <laughs> um, so the friend, whose name I keep on forgetting, says... I don't remember this dude's name. No. He is physically a dude who is there. He's, he's there. <laughs> he's like, sounds like it's her birthday. I know! I know! <laughs> Where are you going to get her? I don't know. I fucked <laughs> up. I fucked up. Uh, they run into uh, uh, Hime after establishing also that, uh, ch- you know, Chinatsu is like depressed because, you know, she let her team down and they lost the nationals. And so he's like, I don't know if it feels right to celebrate. And then he just points over. They're all, they're all celebrating. Like, all right, shut up. 
Uh, Hime comes by and smacks. Uh, oh God, I've forgotten his name. Damn it. Uh, duh, duh, what's his name? Main character, dude. Oh, Taiki. Sorry. Taiki. Smacks Taiki in the head with a ball and, and comes by. He's like, sorry. And they're like, you did that on purpose. Yeah, probably. I like, yeah, because I fucking rule. Yeah, because I think you're cute. Yeah. This is how I express affection. <laughs> this is how boys do it, apparently. So, so uh, Taiki uh, pulls Hina off to have a private conversation. Uh, and Hina immediately is like, you better not do anything weird to me. And Taiki's like, what the fuck? Come on. <laughs> and and I do like that there is a small, because Blue Box does this all the time where there's like, you know, a, just a little sub thing where it's like, it's almost they've muttered the line. Uh, but uh, she's like, I was just trying to fight the mood because you're all tense and stuff. And it's like, yeah. So uh, Taiki says, hey, you know, like I like Shinatsu Senpai and I'm going to, really try and make that work with her. So is, is, is that okay with you? And he is like, I mean, I'm, I'm very much aware of the situation we're in. Yes, I'm cool with it. But I knew that when I confessed to you. So yeah, stop being all awkward and weird. Okay. Yeah, a weirdo, please. <laughs> uh, Glass's friend who is there overhears the conversation, of course, because he has no respect for privacy and is like, so she told him how she feels. Yep. That's what they did. I there there is a moment where I were I wondered if that was supposed to be a clue that he might have feelings for Hina. Maybe. And I mean it would make sense for them to essentially eventually add another element into this love triangle. So Yeah, he likes Taiki. <laughs> hey. This could be a series where everyone's just into Taiki for some reason. Yeah. That except very boring Batman. boy. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants to be with me except the one person that I want. <laughs> Uh, the basketball team is practicing. Uh, they establish that because the coach is putting a lot of pressure on Shinatsu that, oh, there's going to be pressure on her because the senpais are all going to be graduating soon. She's going to basically be the vice captain. And yeah, sure enough, she gets pulled aside and they're like, yeah, she's she's going to essentially be the captain next semester, too, because she is the best player on the team. All the younger players look up to her as well. Uh, her friend Nagisa, I think is her name, is yes. like, hey, you you're not really like usually comfortable with being a leader. Are you going to be cool with that responsibility? And she not to says, well, I may not look it, but I was my class's representative last year. And it gets like, yeah, because you I, lost the game of frog, paper, scissors. This is the moment that I like sort of like how I, I got one over when, uh, Hina was, uh, said like that. She better have some messed up fetish or something like that. This was the moment where I think I may have turned a little bit on Janasi because I, I really do like the idea where she's just like, ah, I was found Victorian. They're like, you didn't want to. <laughs> you, <wanted> to. <laughs> you, you lost the game. You lost the contest. And you had to do it. Uh, um, but Chinatsu is reassuring. She says, yeah, it's, it is going to be a lot of pressure, but I love this team. Yes. And she smiles. Uh, but of course, as is per usual with her, keeping a lid on it. And uh, her friend is not very convinced. We can see that she's still looking and focusing on her as they go through practice, even though Chinatsu is putting on a friendly, happy face. And Chinatsu stays after practice to practice shots by herself. Because she fucking missed the shot that knocked them out of nationals. She missed again. That's gotta 
just be torturous. <laughs> just I've prepared for this moment so I won't fail again. I failed again in the exact same way. That sucks. Yeah. Um eventually like a, a I think it's just another student comes by and says, "Yeah, I'm going to lock up soon." Uh so when she leaves, she gets phoned by her mother and uh uh her mom is of course calling to wish her a happy birthday and stuff. And but she notices like, hey, you sound a little you sound a little blue. Uh, but she notices like, oh, yeah, well, uh, maybe vice captain of the team. And I guess that since I was chosen for that position, I got to do a good job. And I mean, I told you this, but when it really mattered, I, I missed the shot, even though I practiced so hard, I still missed. Uh, and I feel like I've still got a lot of growing up to do, at least in basketball. So how will I even have the time to think about the team when i'm thinking about myself because i don't think i'm good enough and her mom kind of like takes this approach of like oh is that all i got this <laughs> i've been parenting too long for this to be a problem so i know what to do uh yeah she says look you just got to do your best and just worry about that after everything goes bad even then it still won't be too late to improve though when the time comes don't think you failed because of who you are Think about how you can grow from your experiences and going forward. Just focus on who you can turn to when the going gets tough. Uh, Cause it's really nice when someone relies on you. It is. So uh, after that, Tuna looks at her phone and she sends a little emoji to Taiki. It's the penguin guy that they agreed as their sign to each other that hasn't come up in a long time. So yeah. when it happened, I was like, oh, it's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as it so happens, Taiki was headed into the same direction. And he's just like, I wasn't telling you. We just live in the same direction. <laughs> I, I I do actually really like that she hears the sound like right behind her. And like the bing. And she's like, what? He's like, I swear to God, I'm not following you. <laughs> um. But so it's awkward for a second because I was like, I wasn't following her. I swear it wasn't. It's just that we live at the same house. <laughs> uh, but Shinatsu just looks very sadly really at him and says, I want to go somewhere. So do you mind if we take the train? And that is where the chapter ends. So, hey, it'll be nice to see Shinatsu and Taiki, you know, like actually grow closer again, because those have been some of the nicer moments in this series of seeing them actually like, you know, open up to each other and get to know each other as yeah. opposed to him being like, I don't know what to give her for her birthday. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's I, I'm looking forward to seeing where that's going. It's a cute little chapter. And I like Chinasu a good bit more after the chapter as well. I, she is more human. Yes. So. All right. Now let's talk about, well, we had Boruto this week, so it can't be our favorite chapter this week, but nah. chapter 15 of Drun Drun Ichiha Kobayakawa. All right. So the director addresses two squads, one of which is he. One of which the, is the three characters we know. We know. And then the other one is the three characters we don't know. And guess which uh, one's going to get their shit pushed in this week? Oh, but the, one of them's a fan of Dora, though. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. Oh, no. One of them is two days. 
one of them's two days from retirement. <laughs> so really, that's really the energy this group gives off. Because, like, two of them look really, like, significantly older, too. Yeah. So, like, it really does give off the vibe of, like, this is the group our most hardened and experienced warriors. And your your wedding's on the, the weekend, right? And your your daughter's birthday's coming up, right? Like, oh, wow. You guys have so much to live for. The guy with the Fu Manchu just looks sad about everything, too. It's like, I just... Why do I have to do this? And then he smiles and it's like, what's wrong with this person? No, don't do that. I don't like this. <laughs> uh, and as it turns out, everyone's totally fine with a freaking Monoke being going on this mission with them. None of them have any hangups about this at all whatsoever. They're just like, yeah, let's go do this. Boys club. Woo. Uh, and then we are introduced to the title character of the chapter. Yeah, my name is Ichiha Kobayakawa, and you'll rescue me if I'm in danger, right? He really sets himself up for everything. I have a zest for life that'll never be squelched, but if I'm ever in trouble, you better be the first one to come help me. Have I told you my fear is being eaten by spiders? It's a weird dream, I know. It'd be especially weird if it was like a sexy woman spider, but that's a complicated kink I don't need to tell you about. Just know if that's happening i really need you to come save me and hey i've got a special bond with you dora because i tried to make friends with the monoke too it tried to eat me but i still think it would be cool you know that's how people think when they're traumatized by these incidents i guess i mean i call it a trauma uh traumatization but you know it wasn't that bad i only have a massive scar that's never healed from it the likes of which I can't quite understand how I got. I guess the tiger bit into the top of my head, but didn't finish latching on. I don't really know. But regardless, let's be best friends forever. <laughs> and I love that Dora, this is maybe the only time I like him, which is actually a moment that seems greatly out of character for him. He just says, whatever, let's be friends. And I was like, <laughs> this stupid loser's only defining relationship so far has been him being like, oh, man. The, whatever Kuranoski, whatever the fucking little monomonoke is he's like let's go over and paint each other's fingernails and watch scary movies together because we're such best friends so the idea of someone trying to express friendship to him and he's like get away from me i hate you <laughs> whatever we'll end this conversation oh god there's also like a weird picture hang on let me zoom in on this there's a weird moment when he's saying Oh, it's 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 the captain. He's just like, what the fuck, friends? No, no, get away from him. They're supposed to like me and no one else. Because he's in the background while they're doing. This. They're like, I want to be friends with you guys. And Kusanagi's like, yay! And Dora's like, this is cringe. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have any hangups about being friends with the Mononoke. The last time I did it, it gave me a scar that I have to just you know instinctively explain to people as soon as I introduce myself to them because it's so obvious. I've done it probably thousands of times reliving that incident where I trusted a Mononoke and then it tried to kill me. Also, but you seem nice, Kusanagi. Also, my career to this point has been killing <laughs> Mononoke. So I really have a complicated relationship where I seem to be super excited about protecting them. Every time he goes on a mission, he's like, will you be friends with me? Oh, I got to kill it. Uh. <laughs> it tricks him every time. The scar just gets a little bit bigger every time he has to kill one. <laughs> they always get me in the same spot. <laughs> oh, it's like graffiti artists who add on to each other's creations. <laughs> 
uh, they talk some more while they go out to the the area, whatever. The the squad separates so that the victims can, you know, be victimized. The girl Monoke shows up and just latches herself around the the, the, the leader's neck, and I guess he takes him forever to realize this. Um, and then he says, "What's up with this supernatural energy?" In my 15 years as a samurai, I've never experienced anything so powerful. Then why did it take you so long to sense her? Like, how, is, how does power sense work in this series? Is it a really obvious thing that presses down on you? Or is it something that you could just not notice at all if you're not paying attention? Sometimes it's hard to like so, pick up on those things. You know? You're like, oh man, it's really hot. Holy shit, my room's on fire. <laughs> And you just didn't sense it until, like, you're on fire. Like, holy shit. <sighs> maybe the others try to attack her. Mononoke energy uh, can be, like, picked up as, like, sort of the animal you represent. And he was just like, damn, there's a powerful-ass spider somewhere in this forest. Like, holy shit, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Wait a minute. Spiders are small. That's a Mononoke. Oh, it's Ramonoke. <laughs> <laughs> he's like hey there's something so else the back others, here too there's a giant black strap with studs please, on it I'm sorry. please let me finish this chapter it's so bad <laughs> I think this chapter no, can do with more so riffs <laughs> uh, so the others try to attack her and she's like spider but okay spider and okay use the web to stop you and then uh so then the lieutenant guy is like, oh, all right, I've got a sword and tries to spin around and cut her <laughs> after waiting there doing nothing for five seconds. Uh, so they're like, all right, we've got to take this guy, this girl out. Oh, man, there's webs everywhere. We'll never get out of here, uh, but we can stop her. Oh, wait, there's another one. OK, directly behind us. So we also didn't sense, even though it's huge and also has massive power levels. Blah, 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 blah. Um, they try and stab it. Oh, it's so powerful. Uh, oh, no. The drunky one caught Izanagi guy and is going to definitely eat him. And he's like, oh, no. My attacks have no effect. Dora's there. He cuts through the web to get to them. Bleh. Okay. So <laughs> what did we think? I thought this chapter could have used a few more bits, a couple more riffs. I think next week we start a riff count and we just try to see how many riffs we can go off of. <laughs> We're talking about the chapter itself. Um, we'll start. We'll start. This, we'll start the. We'll start the show earlier next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as as for the chapter itself, was uh, blindingly forgettable. Like it, it, like aggressively tropey. Like where you're just like, all right, I get it. These guys are gonna die. <laughs> like, fucking calm down. <sighs> Chris, I have a I have a puzzle for you. <gasps> for me i might have one this, for you okay this was this one's this one's dense okay so dense i'm sorry i'm gonna send it over to you while i say it okay plovdiv <clears throat> pummelers flightful pedicle per providence holy shit i don't think yeah. i've ever heard the term plodviv what the fuck plovdiv. is it plodviv yeah. I mean, if you look it up, you're going to know it immediately. So I've never heard of Plodiv. Okay. Okay. Uh, it was Plodiv Plunderer. 
Plovdiv Plovdiv Pummeler. Pummeler. Plovdiv Pummeler's plightful pedicle per providence. Pedicle. I don't know if I know. I know there's there's some. There are some $5 words in this one. Look, <laughs> I'm running low on P. I, I, I didn't think this series would last this long. There's only so many P words you can form a sentence with. Pedicle, is that like feet related? Um, not strictly. Okay. Hmm. I mean, I feel like I, I did look up Protative and I, I picked it up off that. I'm assuming that's Rusev or that quote, is... quote, Miro. Miro. So Plovdiv Pummeler stand in for Bulgarian Brute. Mm-hmm. Pedicle is an, a part of the body that like extends from one part to attach to another. It's his neck. Per providence. His whole thing with from God. God. I, so I... he blames God for his bad neck. And that's where I gave the whole thing. I worked. I was trying to do one for Miro and all oh, and I all, got and also yeah happy Rusev day <laughs> all all I got to was uh I needed two more words because I got to proudly pleases pretty partner because he just talks about fucking his I wife thought about that too I was gonna use I was gonna use pliable partner because he talks about how she's flexible <laughs> I, I have one this one I don't know if it's I don't know if this one's very good but we're gonna try it uh, popular, you, pleaser, you've had some popular pleaser, okay. proudly, purgers, pulls, and purloins. Purgers, perjures. Purgers. So like, uh, so as in P-E-R-J-U-R? P-E-R-G-U-R-E-S. Purgers. Is that Eddie, is that Eddie Guerrero? That is. That's Eddie Guerrero. Yes! He lies, he Lied cheats, he steals. I, the, the thing I wasn't... Because pulls was the closest I get to cheats. Pulls like pulls a wool over your eyes or something like that. Oh, okay. There really wasn't yeah. a good P for for that. But I was like, I got purgers and purloins, and that's basically that's, all yeah. I need, right? Yeah, I mean, I got it off of basically just perjurer. So, yeah. so yeah, good stuff. Nice, like yeah. that one. And then, and also we both got we got them relatively quickly yeah. too. <laughs> I mean, I had to look up what the one word is, so I'm going to give myself a half credit. Plovdiv, I was desperately searching for like I've got to do something to indicate he's Bulgarian or European or something. What's a p word? Oh, his hometown is Plovdiv. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. P p p p p p. Chapter twenty five. My fairy lady. <laughs> uh. Rachero, is that Rachero? Yeah, I didn't I read the. Ch- uh, has met up with Sorachika and just like, what do I do? Lucky told everyone our our secret, and now father's calling for me. What do I do? What do I say? Uh, but Sorachika gets a big speech bubble to say it'll be okay. So you know it's in the most reassuring tone, uh, and it says, "Look, Lucky's not going to be banished immediately." Not until Mimin wins. And what if Mimin wins? Oh, then he'll be banished. Oh. Yeah. So that'll be fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Rachel's like, oh, I'm going to go beat up dad. And Sarachika's like, yeah, okay. Anyway, we can talk about mom more openly now. I have one more thing to look forward to. 
So is this guy just like a little bit, you know, peace, smoking a little bit of the, because he's very chill. Like he, he definitely is. He definitely has a, a, a an interesting vibe to him. Uh, Mimin walks past the two of them because, of course, she has just been in to speak with her father about this stuff. She's leaving the mansion now, and. That she witnesses them while Rajiro is like shaking Sorashika by the collar and being like, I'm going to beat up dad. She's like, are you two dancing? Everyone gets to have fun but me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like her. Yeah. I, um, I do. I love that energy where he's immediately like, or she's immediately like, why does everyone get to do cool things besides me? <laughs> one of them's holding the other one by the shirt. Like she really just, she sees the world in her own way. Yep. Um, Sorachika curiously asks if Lucky was having fun at the competition as well. And Mimin says, yeah, he looked really happy. Uh, they clarify again that, okay, hey, finals on October 20th, national start November 29th. And Mimin's like, ah, I'm not looking forward to this at all. It's more like no matter what I do, it's just not fun. Well, it's fun, but I'm not happy. Because my happiness lies in playing with the fairies. And we get a flashback to when she was a kid playing with like a bunch of Casio keyboards and to be like, yay! And she's singing London Bridges Falling Down, My Fair Lady. Uh, some of her siblings come in. Rajira says that, hey, father said that she's got to start playing on the piano. But of course, maybe it's just like, this is fun, yay! Uh, and look, Lucky says, yeah, but she's she's happy playing. And there's nothing wrong with that. A good little egg. Yeah. Mimin says to herself, whenever I play the note, me, the fairies would come flying out. So cute. And they made me happy. They're so cute. And I was so happy to have met them that it brought tears to my eyes. And then her dad came along and was like, play on the piano. Be boring. And Mimin just recalls a bunch of different times when people told her, like, people kept telling me I couldn't do things. But I had my fairies, so I was happy. Also, she lumps in Lucky telling her not to jump off of the roof of the building with play the piano instead of having fun. So, <laughs> <laughs> But Mimin says, I love playing the piano. I'm s- sorry. The piano! <laughs> I'm so grateful for having met the fairies. But one day I had a cold and was playing the piano without thinking about anything. And a tree appeared. And everyone told me, as a guy who looked like Beethoven appeared, everyone said, that's so much better. It's better with the tree, her father says. Playing that way is more appropriate. You'll receive more accolades. The fairies can be there, but if they don't have anything to do with the music, then you don't need them. And I hated it. So I played the fairy version at all the competitions. I was only one out of the Otagami sex doubles who didn't place first. So father hit me. I hated that. Uh, and her father was also like, kill the fairies. Stop. Stop playing to someone. <laughs> kill them. I like that. It sounds like that's a joke, but he absolutely says you should kill those fairies. <laughs> that's a sort of dark thing. Also, I just this is a weird question I have. How is it that they're sextuplets, yet they all get first in a competition? 
Like, I would assume maybe it was broken up by age bracket, but they're all the same age. So how do they all be- get first? Because Gakko no Dagami is just like, put my kid in this one, and now in this one, and now in this one, and now in this one. I'm Gakko no Dagami. You have to let me do this. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm like, God damn it. He's so good at the piano. Yeah, he's so good at the piano. We've just got to give him our nation's secrets. He wrote the opening to fucking uh, Bruce Hornsby. That's just the way it is. What, what else can we do? Okay. Okay. We're gonna get copyright struck. <laughs> <laughs> I was too close. Uh, and of course, Mimin was just like, "Oh, come on! This is so stupid. I don't care about these competitions. Why is I, why do I have to put up with all this? My fairies are number one to me." And she's thinking this like after her father has just slapped her. Like that's not even her focus. It's just all the other stuff that's going on. But something else happened. Maloli was recording the whole thing on her phone. And she says, yeah, I'm going to upload this to the internet. Uh, but after that, she just immediately tossed over her phone and was just like, hey, you can delete it if you want, Mr. Braids dude. And use this as a distraction to take uh, Mimin away. And Mimin was immediately drawn to her saying, like, you look just like a fairy. Uh, and Maloli's like, I also get scolded because the way I play is different, but I love my ability and I do what I can to make sure that I can play it, the play, play the piano freely. So you should listen to me play now. And she played for, for Mimin and Mimin is like, it's so weird. and It's so much fun. It's she's so free. And she didn't find out Melody's name until two years later on the news, which they were at a, place where like she was allowed to play the piano on a stage so presumably Miloli was introduced but Mimin presumably wasn't paying attention because she's Mimin so uh but she saw her on TV winning a competition and she's like oh wow she she won with that and she so Miloli was her idol basically her motivation and she's like I'm gonna make father and those judges eat their words and then I'll be free and I'm going to do it by using my fairies to get first place. But then a year later, Maloli abandoned her weird playing style and just started playing conventionally. And Mimin doesn't understand it. She's like, I'll bet people aren't letting her play how she wants to now. Her freedom has been taken away just like mine was. So this time I'll protect you. I'll be your savior, fairy and inspiration. Melolin. we're going to be free no matter what. I love this chapter. I thought yeah. it was excellent. I love the explanation of a min. Uh, I love really kind of seeing it. And there is something just so utterly tragic about her loving the piano, loving how she plays it. One day she just plays it slightly differently because she wasn't feeling a hundred percent. And everyone's like, Oh, that version's better. Just do it like that. And just seeing how like her love of this craft is destroyed. I, I, I definitely, I, I empathize with her a lot more and I, I really came away just enjoying the series more. Also, uh, you know, with a certain other series gone, uh, it's nice to get some of that just uh, powerful sapphic artist energy <laughs> in this uh, uh, magazine again. So, uh, I'm all for it. Okay. All right, Nick. Let's Cream talk. puffs. Yes, let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter One Hundred and One: Mash Burn Dead and the Dark Magma. So, Doom is like you, baby. Use my magic, burr. 
you can't possibly win. And Mash is like laying on the ground and he's just kind of like, eh, eh, like he's just kind of like twitching. And he's like, oh, I got all sore muscles from taking off my wristlets. And Doom's like, what the fuck? And he looks at his weapon and it's got cream all over it. He's like, why is there cream on Caldebulk? Does he always keep desserts tucked in his robe? <laughs> and he looks and he's like, there's a nick on my sword. He says it's a nick. There's a fucking chunk taken out of this yeah. thing. And he's like, wait a minute. That's Did he attempt a counter in that brief fraction of a second? He possesses the strength to, to break my blade. Yet he hides desserts and makes ill-timed jokes. I don't get it. <laughs> um, what kind of series am I in? <laughs> yeah, what is happening? Uh, he just says, ah, I see. You're not using your full strength. You can't help but look down your opponents. Mash is like, I would never be so rude. <laughs> And he's like, this is far more interesting. I would like to rip those limiters off of you. Uh, but Innocent Zero interferes. Is like, no, the Divine Visionaries are coming. We have to leave. But I shall drop him into magma infused with the power of darkness. Which is such a metal concept. <laughs> and anything that is absorbed in it will be destroyed without a trace. And then I'll just reclaim his magic the old-fashioned way, basically. And Mash is just like, you're a horrible person. Uh, Doom just says, when we meet next, be sure you can use your full potential or you'll never defeat me. Mesh's and like, it's like, I'm dropping him into dark magma. Which nothing can escape from. Yeah. You you don't think he's going to get it, right? Because dark magma is expensive. If I don't have to use it, I shouldn't be using it. That's just a waste of money. I'm going to kill him right now. Like, yeah. And then... No, I think I'm getting what kind of series I'm in now. So no, I've I've figured it out now. <laughs> I get it now. Uh, so Mash is stuck on this rock, and a piece of magma splashes next to him, and he just sees a gigantic crater left behind. He's like, "Oh boy, I gotta move somehow," but he can't. He's like, "Well, I guess that means it's dark magma time." <laughs> Sometimes you just have to lie down and accept your fate. But who? Ah, uh, yes, the tenants of Shonen. Never give up. <laughs> Unless you're like, meh, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, so, you know, I've got a, I got a sprain, you know. Yeah. It hurts. Uh, he can't get up, but then Domina lifts him up. We see that Domina's back is already burning because he's been hit by one of these splotches. And he says, father's already abandoned me. He won't care what I do now. But Mash is like, what are you doing? You're getting sucked into the magma. And Magma, or, uh, not Magma, sorry, uh, Domina thinks to himself, I'm completely spent, but I can't let him die here. I must save him, even at the cost of his, of my own life. And we can see Magma is, like, sinking in, or Domina, sorry. There's a character in, in another manga called Magma, and I'm getting confused. Domina. And there's a character in this one that's, like, Magna. Yeah. So. Uh, so, Domina, we can see, is sinking into the Magma. As this is happening, he says, go waters and shoots like a torrent of water that launches Mash up into the air, into the ceiling. And he bounces kind of there, lands safely. And he just looks down and he's like, Domina, we see Domina think to himself, Mash burned dead. I dirtied my hands with all the crimes at the behest of my father. And I was nothing more than a tool to him alone in the world unloved by anyone. I was nothing but worse. I was worse than nothing. But still, you took my hand. It was the first time I ever felt warmth from another and I'm so glad you and I got to meet before the end. Goodbye, Mash Burn Dead. Domina sinks into the dark magma. 
And we just get a little narration that says, Soon after, the Divine Visionary safely retrieved MASH. And so began what would be MASH's final fight. As uh, Innocent Zero says, Gather your remaining siblings. Yep. Very nice little uh, end for Domina. Now, Nick, this is an important question. More impactful saving someone at the cost by going through magma. Domina here or the grandmother from Volcano? Uh, so I've never seen that movie. <laughs> oh, it's like the only scene from that movie I care about. Or it might be Dante's Peak. It's one of the two of them. Uh, it's oh, it, it tears me apart. <laughs> I can't remember. There's there's there were two volcano movies at the same time, and I forget which I one's know. which. Uh, it's it oh the Dante's Peak one always. I think it's Dante's Peak now. That I think about it, it always tears me up. The grandmother pushing a boat through lava. Oh man, so good. Okay, so <laughs> lose a samurai, I guess. <laughs> Kusunoki, 1335, chapter 55. Uh, so Kusunoki is uh, teaching Tokuyuki some lessons and stuff. Uh, he's doing so by getting some food and just kind of like taking it from from his family, I guess. Uh, and uh, when she gets upset at him for grabbing the food, he's just like, I was hungry. And who is that boy? Run! <laughs> they scatter off while his wife comes after him in like the most effective pursuing stance which is legs going out everywhere yeah so Tokyuki says uh why are you running from your wife and he says well she hasn't forgiven me for the chaos of the rebellion the kusunoki way is to flee first and butter up the wife later no don't do that (laughs) do not do that uh but he says, you asked me before how the weak can defeat the strong, so why not try sparring with me? Do whatever you feel you need to do to win, and our exchange will be enough for me to offer advice. Or are you scared? Doki's like, I'm not scared. And he takes his sword stance with, you know, the one hand in front of his face and the sword held outward. And Kusunoki immediately recognizes the stance and says, oh, who taught you that? And Toki says, my retainer who hides one eye. And Kusunoki says, well, he is a wise teacher. When I confronted Kamakura's staggering numbers, my soldiers were ragtag amateurs. I lacked swordsmanship instructors. So, how did I win? I'll show you. And he lunges forward to attack Tokyuki, who of course does the step to the side counter, slashing at Kusunoki's wrist. And it looks like there is a splash of blood. Uh, no, he just held a rice ball in the way. And uh, Tokyuki's sword was easily deflected by it, which shocks him. Um, and Kusunoki's like, yeah, yeah, I expected that technique from your stance. But the thing is that because it requires precision and minimal force, I just had to make sure you didn't hit my artery. So, yeah, even this rice ball was enough to do it. Tokyuki's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> You've got rice all over my sword. Uh, but Kusunoki says, well, if you didn't see that coming, your escape skills need improvement. The idea of winning by the sword imprisons you. If victory must come at the edge of a blade, then only strong swordsmen would win. If it must come by bow, only strong archers will win. For the weak to defeat the strong, they must flee the cage of the fixed ideas that confine them. 
even without skill with a sword, one may hollow out logs for collecting rainwater in, an, in a castle under siege. Flaming oil can be used to burn bridges. Even babies may hurl their feces. Ah, yes. I like that the, the dude... War tactic. The dude was wide open mouth as the baby threw the feces. Like, it's going... It's landed, like, long-ended. <laughs> Wide-ended. So... Tokyuki is like, oh, wow. Yeah, I never thought of it this way. Uh, but yeah, because Noki's like, you know, this, the entire idea of common notions and traditions and aesthetics, these surround us in cages, which are hardy and strong. But when stabbed through the bars, there is no way to escape. The weak must fly their cages with pride, despite others branding them fearful and cowardly. And he tears off a chunk of his rice ball and tosses it up in the air where a bird snatches it in midair and goes off to go and make a nest out of it or eat it or something. Because Snooki's like, birds are impressive for their freedom. They have the entire sky to escape to. We must free ourselves like them and soar along the path of escape. To flee is to live. That is my creed. And a freaking orb of insightful light bursts in Tokyuki's chest and there's a big freaking in kanji thing that says to flee is to live like it's his ultimate technique unlocking which I mean makes sense it's kind of the ethos of the series so I guess that that makes sense I was actually kind of thinking when this happens where he tosses the rice up to the bird I kind of wanted the bird to just suddenly go and fall to his death uh, Tokyuki is very, very thankful to Kusunoki for the advice. He's crying while grabbing his hand and stuff. It's, oh my god, it's so good. Uh, Kusunoki also takes him into his room and he says, oh yeah, I've got all these things in here that, that I'm always testing. Uh, but he pulls something out of this big mess in his room and he says, these are records that the Mikado requested I write. This was my rough draft. It contains complete information on the strategies I used in the recent fighting. And Tokyuki looks at it and it's just like a middle schooler's scrawls on like everything in the world all on one page. Uh, and Kusunoki says, yeah, it's just a rough draft. You can take your time deciphering it, but that shouldn't be shown to anyone else because it is for the Mikado's eyes only. The tactics are for those skilled at running away and are prone to misuse by the unskilled. But we both love fleeing, so I trust you with it. So, isn't that nice? Tokyuki leaves. They bow to each other as he makes his departure. Uh, and he says, I've had a lot of great experiences here in Kyo. Today was the high point among them. Um, and when while Tokyuki goes off, Kusunoki thinks to himself, he's got purposeful eyes that reveal glimpses of antipathy toward the government. Surely he is not that boy. Kusunoki's son Tamon Maru approaches and uh, says, oh, yeah, you got a messenger from Takaoji. He says it's about the banquet in two days. Uh, he says that he'll be arriving in the evening uh, and uh, he's going to be coming straight here upon finishing his business. Tokyuki wasn't out of earshot when this, ha when this report was delivered. So he hears this along with all of his retainers and they scuffle off into privacy. And Fubuki's like, um... We know when and where Takauji is going to pass. This is the perfect chance to kill him. If you would rule, you must seize this opportunity. Damn. 
So a nice little chapter that ends in a tense note yep. uh, very suddenly. So good times. All right, Nick, let's wrap this up real quick with play, uh, page 327 of Black Clover. And I say quick because this is only about eight pages long and it's mostly a fight. Uh, so Asta has achieved full devil union and uh, Lucifero is like, what? He has no magic. Die and goes to punch him again. But Asta just kind of like tanks the hit and says, it's a weird feeling. Before we felt like things overlapped, but now it's as if we've truly merged. And so it's not really about specific grudges now. All I know is I have to take you down. And he says, I'm going to beat you and live. And he, you know, Lucifer is like, oh, he shuts off the magic of everything he touches. Don't be ridiculous. And, you know, goes to, to punch him again. But Asta just, again, kind of no sells it. And he says, you've been the one who's been ridiculous all this time. No, you're being a stupid. <laughs> He's like, look, yeah, I'm going to have to ask that you get in the pond if you are going to insist on being a silly goose. <laughs> it's just, I like the idea of calling the bad guy ridiculous. What? <laughs> <laughs> you heard me. You're a silly goose right now. <laughs> Uh, as the swing, swings his sword, cuts off Lucifero's other arms that were impaled inside of Yami and Nature Boy Fire, freeing them. Horns. <laughs> yeah, cutting off the top of his horns as well. And uh, Nature Boy Flares thinks, oh, is this a true devil's union? And, you know, or not, you know, um, Yami thinks, I knew you were interesting, kid. Go get a master. And we just get a narration that says, five seconds left until devil union comes undone. And Asta kicks Lucifero in the face. A boot to the head, yes. Uh, yeah, it's a very short chapter. Um, I think we're just going to reserve judgment until we see the next one, honestly, because it feels like it's both the end of the last chapter and the beginning of the next one, mm. but not its own chapter. It's weird. So, All right, we are going to wrap things up here then. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. What were the best chapters this week? Favorite chapter, MVP. Uh, so my MVP was super easy. It was Mamin. I thought she had an absolutely killer chapter, and I loved every part of it about her. Uh, and then my chapter of the week, I'm going to give to Mashal, I believe, Magic and Muscles. Uh, as we had some very funny jokes, and even though I didn't really get a ton of time to dwell on it, uh, I, I still have some complicated thoughts about everything that happened with Domina. It did get my emotions a little bit, so... Yeah, uh, I'm going to definitely echo your point on Mimin. It was nice to get that backstory for her, get, you know, build her up as more sympathetic as we head into the big confrontation between her and Lucky so that we've got, you know, even greater stakes going into it. Uh, my chapter of the week is going to be a kind of Banashi because I thought it was a really effective uh, and very well-paced chapter to get us to the, to the next uh, leg of Akane's journey. And I really appreciate the way that all this rock ghost stuff is being explained in a way that someone who is unfamiliar with it can understand it. It's like, here, here's, you know, what this is about. And I love that we are continuing to push the idea of these specializations and building up something that is a strength of Akane's at this point, even though she is basically an amateur. Uh, and of course, pushing the, the uh, strong point of this new tutor of sorts that she has. So really, really enjoyed that chapter. Yeah, absolutely. The audience agreed with you, by the way. Akane Banashi is the audience's pick, and Emma Min is the MVP pick of the week for the audience. So, good stuff all around. Yes. All right. 
Well, everyone, we thank you for joining us here on the recording of the show on twitch.tv slash T. You can also check out all of our previous episodes on youtube.com slash weekly recap on weekly if you're just feeling audio e and uh, you can also listen to the podcast basically wherever podcasts are available to be listened to including spotify and itunes uh and uh we also want to thank the people who you know help out with you know like the visually presentation stuff on our youtube including wesley dale cheddar and mallard jack stutz who create the opening sequence for weekly manga recap and steve mann who makes occasional title cards for the show you can see his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet including his twitter twitter.com slash steve man art if you want more weekly manga recap content we have a patreon patreon.com slash weekly manga recap where we do monthly bonus episodes and chris does a monthly other recap talking about a number of series that are in the same wheelhouse of the stuff that we already talk about but that we don't have room for on the main show uh i'm tired so (laughs) (laughs) We also wanted to thank NinjaX3i for maintaining the Google Doc that keeps track of a whole bunch of stuff associated with the show. You can go to there and make a suggestion for a future manga for us to read. And you can also check out the discussion that is being had about the series that we are currently working on a recommendation for, D. Grayman, if you join the Weekly Manga Recap Discord, where also there's conversations held regularly whenever the new chapters come out. And there are bi-weekly game nights amongst our community. And that's everything. Yep. So. All right, that's going to do it, everybody. I hope everybody enjoyed themselves when the podcast is going to be over now. Can't stop us. I'm clicking the stop button. Boop. It's gone now. What you're listening to isn't happening. That's right. It's an illusion. Or is it? <laughs>